here we go with yet another uh, Jiffy and Stubbsy podcast. Uh, Jonathan Davis, star of Rugby League, star of Rugby Union, broadcasting uh, uh, hero is in South Wales. I'm in South West London. Of course, we have a special guest joining us today. Um, but just to keep things absolutely to the norm, Jiffy, all well, all okay, everything going? Yeah, all game. Yeah, same as usual. Just waiting for another announcement of the first minister tomorrow, so we can catch up with the rest of the UK. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been lucky. The weather's been good. Peaches have been quite quite busy down here. Um, but yeah, as normal as 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 it can be, Ray. So um, just looking forward to this podcast now, catching up with my old mate. Absolutely. Over the course of the podcast, Jiffy, when you when you think back, just the the mood and the style and the 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 water that's flown under the bridges since we started talking, sort of midweek, every week. Well, the unprecedented times. Thank you to our very special guest for joining us today, leading commentator Andrew Cotter joins us. Andrew, I know, I know you two know each other very well uh, from mm. working together. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Just in a way, highlighting what um, I said then: strange times, unprecedented times. Yeah, yeah, very, very strange. Um, in fact, it was it all sort of kicked off in terms of uh, lockdown and and sort of my job falling apart just before Scotland Wales or Wales Scotland because I was I was about <laughs> to head down to Cardiff to work with Jiffy on. Um, so it was Friday the thirteenth. Was Friday the thirteenth of of March and um, that was the day that everything kind of crumbled uh, because just after the message came in from our head so that now the game's gone don't bother don't bother coming down uh, and I thought well I've done some notes do I still get paid but at the same time it was <laughs> it was uh, the Masters went uh, you know an email came yeah. in from the Masters and said that we're not going to be and then uh, the London Marathon went that day and then Within a couple of weeks, you know, the Olympics, uh, Wimbledon, uh, the Open Championship—they're all gone. So, so are was... you bu- are you busking anywhere now then? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but that's that's how um, the silliness of you know dog commentary came about because it was what do you do? Well, what do you do when you're a commentator without sport to commentate on? So, uh, um, yeah, it's just. It's, but it's you're right, crazy. right. It's so it's such a strange time. And, and you know you you go throughout your days and you sort of get used to things and get into rhythm but then every now and again you check yourself and go is this really happening this is this is bizarre so but you know it's just something we have to get through it was and i think it'll be interesting because it's the sport looks like it'll be the last uh, you know thing to come back with with the audiences but uh, it's uh, it, i saw when the scotland game was cancelled it was cancelled very late or late mm. i think it was on the friday Half of Scotland were in Cardiff anyway. Mm. So they, they came down to party and they did party uh, because the official lockdown had started a week later, didn't it? Yeah, and then that was obviously the same days. You know, Cheltenham was going on in full swing and the pictures of that. And it seems strange now to think of that and to even think of the fact that there might have been 70,000 inside the you know, the Principality Stadium in, in Cardiff. So, and you know, you'll know, Ray, from, you know, football experience, how weird that was to see the restart of football. I was, I was fascinated to, to watch a bit of it, you know, the game that Sky, or the games that Sky were showing, or certainly one that I saw a bit of, where they had, you know, piped in, like canned laughter, they had piped in a stadium noise, so they were playing that out, which seemed really weird. I thought one of the, one of the, 
perhaps not good experiences of watching football like that without a crowd would be you could hear what the players are saying. You can hear everything. You can hear the, the cries from the, the coaches and the sidelines and everything. But they just played out this. I don't know yeah. where they got the stadium noise from, some random game. You can't then ramp it up when someone scores no. a goal or when something contentious happens. So that might have been commentary from, you know, Argentina against the All Blacks rugby or something like that. I, I tell you what it was. I, we we watched. Um, I watched a bit of the Bundesliga and there was no atmosphere whatsoever. But the thing, first thing I watched then was the Australian Rugby League, and they did it. I think they were the first ones to do that. So I don't know how they're doing it, whether they pipe it <clears> into the stadium or it's just on the the television show, but. Yeah, it would have been. We discussed this before. It would have been interesting to listen to the players. Uh, we discussed think, this yeah. with um, with Nigel Owens, but I'm not sure if the players will allow that because they they can't stop kind of doing what they're doing straight away, and everything would have come up over the over the referee's mic, and I think there would have been you know yeah. serious issues then. But I think that I think there was an option because they're just playing. They're playing in the effects. The in the production, the Sky production. But I think there's an option on some channels when you're watching to have it with or without. The artificial crowd noise. So anyway, the the very idea that we're talking about this isn't it bizarre? You know, isn't it strange? Know, not the game. Out, oh, it's 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 so strange. But football, you know, Ray getting back to playing, but and golf is getting back to some play. But you know, these big events that I mentioned and the Masters being played in November, the Olympics, they're talking about it perhaps not even happening now in 2021. And Wimbledon and the Open Championship were very quick to call theirs off. So it's it's amazing how, how different sports are getting back at different times and sort of seem to have different pressures to get back to playing. It's all, it's all different. It's money pressures. I think a lot of it is financial pressures mm. and they'll try and get back and get, you know, stop hemorrhaging the, you know, the, the money. Mm. Yeah. I, I feel as though there's still, um, we, we can't, we would never have guessed where we are turn of the year to where we are now. So, uh, I think it's very, yeah, I think, yes, I think it's right and proper to make plans. You have to, have a plan ready to go, but who would ever know what it's going to be like when we get to the turn of the year? And as Andrew, as you say, the Olympics to be sorted out, there's the major football championships, Euro 2020-21 now has to be played. So I'm not saying this in critical terms in any shape or form, but there is an awful lot to be sorted out and there is an awful lot of uncertainty still to go. And when we... Jiffy, when we think about the fact that we've been chatting each week and been joined by uh, some terrific guests, I sort of think it really represents the fact everyone, the way everyone has been thinking. And Andrew, the, the success of your two dogs as online <laughs> stars, in a way, don't you think that really reflects the fact that we were all searching for everything. You know what I'm saying? Is yeah, no, absolutely. Everybody was just, it was a strange world. It was a very strange world. And we have all reacted in different ways. I have to say, I think there is untold impact of the lockdown in terms of what the, the, the effect it's had on all of us and so many people that we don't know yet. Oh, no, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about that. The, men, the, the, the hardest part of it all is the, the, the mental impact of it. Because, and you th- you, you, people ask you how you are. You know, you used to say, how are you? And it didn't mean anything. No, it really does. So people say, well, I'm okay. And you know they're not, you know, they might be on the surface okay, but everybody's got stresses and strains. This sort of claustrophobia and everything, it feels that like it's closing in. And when you're seeing the same a backdrop in the same four walls every day even if you can get out it's you're, you're not 
you haven't got holidays that you can go on. You haven't got, um, you know, I would travel a lot for work and it's just going to different yeah. events. This week would be Wimbledon. Next uh, couple of weeks time, Wimble uh, sorry, Wimbledon will be starting this week. It's Queens. You know, and then you move on to the Open. It's the same events every year, but it's a different environment. And it's just that getting out and and working and seeing different people. And uh, so it's, uh, there's a huge psychological impact. And that's what they're talking about, the schools at the moment, how important it is, not for, not for the learning, but for the psychology no. of yeah. children to be able to meet, their, you know, meet other children and mix and have fun. And uh, yeah, so I think there is untold, uh, unseen damage that is being done at the moment. Yeah, it's the, 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 the psychology of the whole thing. Uh, I guess, did the reaction to Oliver and Mabel, did that stretch from all around the world? Were you getting contacted from people? Oh, who... I mean, it's uh, the whole thing. You know, when you talk about this being a strange time and the reaction to that has been the strangest thing and very difficult at times genuinely very difficult to deal with because um, for a start i had a an email address on my twitter account you know which in the past oh no would have been for well exactly but it was for in the past you know if anyone wants to contact me for to offer me work as a freelance broadcaster you know you stick it out there and hope that somebody might get in touch and then when you put this out i mean message wise on twitter um each video brought in about 10 15 thousand messages and Email-wise, I was getting about 200 emails a day um, to that account. And I mean, ranging from, from everything from, uh, you know, at the very top, there would be one maybe offer of employment that you might consider, uh, down to some well-meaning but total gibberish from people just say. <laughs> and, and, and but what, what I would say is every single message and every single email was nice and polite. And isn't that, and that's amazing on Twitter well, in itself. I and, you know, yeah. Because I mean, we, when, we, when we work together, me and uh, Cot, because <laughs> I enjoy working with him, we'll sit down and then as soon as the game is over, oh, I, it's awful. We'll, we'll go, we'll go, oh, let's see what's going on in uh, on Twitter then. And that's, uh, we, we that's a terrible yeah. way to be, isn't it? To be, it is. For us to be reacting to that and going, oh, I hope that somebody who I've never met and never am going to meet, I hope that they appreciated that commentary. Let's see what they thought, This these strangers. Oh, they didn't I, like that yeah. bit that I said. What, I what? But it affects you, and why does it matter? So the dog it's, thing, it, it, I mean, it was so positive. Yeah. But then there were so many emails of people just saying, could you commentate on my dogs, my hamster, my cats? <laughs> and they would send three-minute videos and say, and... No. I mean, there is a huge, there's a hugely negative side to it because it does feel totally overwhelming and you can't answer all the emails or all the messages. You can hardly answer any of them. Some of them are quite heart wrenching, you know, about, yeah. um, you know, they've been having, but, but at the same time, there were lots of messages that came in that said, I've been having a crappy time at work uh, today and it's been terrible for a while or we're having a tough time or whatever. And I watched this video for 90 seconds and I laughed. So thank you for that. And I don't mean that in sort of, whoa, I'm a time brilliant yeah. kind of way, but it, but it genuinely for Twitter is such a horrible place at times. So to yeah. see it in that light was something different. Cause we're, we're slightly different, right? Uh, I, I don't, I just, I, I get aggressive and then Andrew worries about things like then. You and, you and Brian Moore get quite aggressive with people. You just respond. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't like confrontation. So I just, I silently fume about it and then get a bit sad. So, so but you know, it's, uh, I, would, I was looking at, you start, you started in, in radio, Andrew, right? But mm. did you, did you envisage like doing what you're doing now from a, from an early no, age or no. what were your plans when you kind of, 
when you left school? Not at all. I mean, and I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school or indeed when I left university. I mean, there are certain people who I get, you know, occasionally get messages in amongst the people asking me to commentate on domestic animals. I get <laughs> certain messages from people saying, oh, I want to get into sports broadcasting. And Ray Wolf had the same, you know, how do I, how do I go about that? My first answer nowadays is there is no I don't, I don't know. There is no one direct way into it for a start. Things have changed so much in the landscape of broadcasting that, you know, whereas 10 years ago, I would have said, well, get onto a local paper and then into local radio. That's what I did eventually. Um, but nowadays I'd say, you know what, set up a YouTube channel or, or get yourself on and, and set up your own um, platform and then start doing stuff there because then you can, you might get an audience on its own there, or very you could send that off as a demo to to people within more established platforms. So, but but to answer your question, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I'm always a little bit wary of people who say when they're very very young, I want to be a broadcaster, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm I'm far more comfortable with people who say, you know, I don't know, and then they eventually find their way into something, having done lots of different things, and you know, don't go to university or college if you're going to do that you know, don't necessarily go with one specific thing in mind. Yes, if you're going to study medicine, or if you're going to study engineering, yeah. but if you're going, you know, there's nothing wrong with a degree. I did a sort of general arts degree in French and philosophy. It qualifies you for absolutely sod all, but it, what it does is it gets you, <laughs> the university is just that transition from childhood to adult life, and it makes you stand in your own two feet a bit better, and it just prepares you for the adult world. The fact yeah. is I didn't know what I wanted to do as a job, Worked as a waiter for a year after graduating, and then you know. Well, you'd have been good at that. You, you know, your, I was so, terrible. your social your so, social skills at the at the table. Well, it was it was a it was well it was a well known. I was terrible. I hated it. I was a, it was a well known restaurant, Glasgow Regano. It's still quite a fashionable restaurant. So it was a media hangout. It was where sports people get. So I remember. I do remember spilling a glass of champagne over Frank McAvaney. Gaza was at <laughs> Gaza was at Rangers at the time. And, you know, we laughed at the time, but now, you know, seeing the way that Gaza is, you think, oh, it's pretty sad. But he was in, you know, after a game, he would be there and he was just, you know. Andrew, I absolutely agree with that. When um, being in the company of Paul uh, was always, well, it was fantastic. Mm. But th there's always a little bit of a danger you end up feeling complicit because yeah, yeah. you're sort of encouraging what you know is going to end up in tears. But great, great, great company. Mm. Andrew, who are the, uh, I know in terms of for, for broadcasters, who were the commentators that caught your ear as you were growing up? Because I think, I think those voices, I think it's very generational, but I think mm. those voices absolutely stick with you forever and oh, ever. Oh, totally, and totally. David Coleman doing the 100 metres of the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, that just, that, that, that sticks with me. Motti doing football, Bill McLaren doing rugby. Yeah. Nowadays, there are so many more well, that's commentators. The yes, that's it. Yeah. So many more. But if you're of a generation, there are certain voices that you never forget. Yeah, no, and, and you mentioned them there because I grew up watching three main sports I would watch and be really passionate about watching were uh, golf, rugby, and athletics. And so David Coleman, athletics, uh, Peter Alice, 
in golf and um, and Bill uh, in rugby. And as you say, they were the voices of those sports because the BBC had almost everything and there wasn't that much sport on television, you know, and if you look back at it now, yeah. so it was, such a, it was such an appointment to view and you sat down and you watched it and this person, this voice accompanied you watching that sport. Whereas now I'll watch this channel or that channel or this channel and there might be three or four commentators at least on that channel, mm. that channel, and that channel. So there are so many voices of sports but they will never come to be identified with those sports in the same way that Coleman or, or McLaren or Peter Alice I'm were. smiling and, Andrew I'm smiling because I can't quite imagine any of that trio of uh, expert broadcasters don't say I, doing dog commentary yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I can't quite imagine them running to Twitter afterwards to see what people have been <laughs> saying about them yeah. Oh, Cole, well, Coleman would have. Coleman would have, and he'd be oh, so angry. What a fantastic yeah. script that would be for, for for David going through his Twitter feed after a commentary. Oh, that would. Oh, come on! Look at look, look what at, at Trump face has said about my hundred meters commentary. <laughs> I'm so angry. No, I could say you're right. I mean, it is it is absurd to think about, and and a much lovelier time when you could just do your commentary and not worry about what. And you could probably still do that if you're sensible, but it's very difficult if you're on oh, if you're on yeah. Twitter to try and ignore it. But uh, but, I mean, as you said, generation, different generation, and different styles of commentary to most of the commentary we have now. Um, I mean, Jeffy worked with um, with Bill many times, and Bill was the loveliest loveliest man but he was totally immersed in rugby as well yeah and he yeah. had you know we we all are slightly i mean i do a, a lot of sports and you, what i end up doing is compartmentalizing you know one week i'll be doing you know athletics and then the next week you do so for during the six nations for example um <coughs> during one of the off weekends it's usually world indoors or european indoors so that week you're doing athletics then next week you're doing you know scotland against um against England in the Six Nations. So you've got to focus on that for that week and then on to that for the next week. Whereas Bill, is, was he lived and breathed rugby. He was a rugby yeah. man through and through from Hoyk. And his notes were, I mean, my notes are, are pretty comprehensive, but his notes were just astonishing. And um, he, he was a totally different type of broadcaster. He had that lovely Borders accent. He had wonderful phrasing and homespun sort of phraseology. And it was, it was a very charming and warm commentary from a sort of time that we look back at as being charming and warm <coughs> and slower paced. That might not be the case. We've all got nostalgia and rose-tinted spectacles about these things. But he was so easy to listen to, which I think is the first thing that a commentator has to be. But it's just changed though, because people, you know, the analysis is different. You, mm. you have to be slightly critical. And I don't think that would have sat very comfortable with Bill. You yeah. know, you just said it, you know... Uh, he, he just beautiful tone to his voice and beautiful sayings, and uh, it's I I well, I, I I take the Mickey out of uh, Costco. I call him young. I call him young Bill, which he doesn't like. But I think his voice mm. is an amazing. He's got an amazing voice for sport, and I and I love working with him. Right, and then we're we're totally different characters, um, and you know his notes are. A very thorough. Where I turn up and I haven't even got a pen sometimes. So, but yeah, yeah. But what you have, what you have. No, I know. But but what you have, since we're in the mutual appreciation society, what you have is just the the brilliant ability to read and explain the game. And that's where you know, if you're going into the the finer details of commentary, that's where you try and explain the dynamics of a, a 
a commentator and a co-commentator. You know, they call them lead commentators or color commentators yeah. in, in America um, would be the sort of the, the co-commentators because I would describe and the co-commentator would explain because I'm not there to say what, because I haven't got the expertise. Yeah. You know, I have some level of knowledge of, yeah. of all those sports, but I'm not there to, to explain and analyze. And what Jeffy is talking about, you know, I was watching an old game recently because there have been so many really yeah. you know, archive ones coming up. And you hear Bill with perhaps Bill Beaumont alongside him or whatever. And it's, the coverage is, it's still brilliant because it's simple, but it's, it's got none of the frills and bells and whistles that we have no. now. So there'll be none of no. the analysis. You know, Bill, Bill Beaumont, lovely man, but he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be saying, <laughs> um, right, you can see there exactly what's happened, blah, blah, blah. And, no. and the, the detail of preparation that people do have to go into yeah. To, to try and explain uh, exactly what's happening, especially in a sport like rugby. I, but I yes. think, yeah, I think, yeah, you, you will, Andrew will say, the commentator will say what's happening, and then I'll try to say why it's happening, and then mm. he'll highlight, he'll highlight, he'll obviously highlight it in his, in his commentary, and then I'll have to look at it very briefly quickly and say, right, that's why that's happened, because yeah. someone's, so, uh, someone's made a mistake or really something brilliant's happened, so you've got to try and work it out. So I, I do the two sports, league and union, and, and I know it's kind of difficult sometimes jumping from one to the other, tech, the technical laws of it. I'll say, oh, there's a 22-metre line, there's a 20-metre line. If I say one's wrong and the other one, I'll have all letters coming in from that, you know, those, those sports. Right? But how do, you, how do you manage with all the different sports that you do with all the different players and the athletes, uh, you know, how do you cope with it? Well, a lot well, of work. I, it, yeah, it is a lot of work. And I think that's what people, you know, they say it is, uh, oh, you've got such a good job. You just travel around watching sport and talking about it, which no. they, that's, that is part of it. But what they don't see is that for four or five days beforehand, you are doing your work, especially in, uh, you know, when you're doing the Six Nations, for example, those teams have evolved quite slowly. So yeah. you're very familiar with a lot of the players um, and they're international, they're high profile players, but you might end up doing a club game uh, between an Italian side in Europe and uh, a French side and suddenly <laughs> you're going, right, okay. Uh, so uh, not a lot more prep is, you, you always prep thoroughly for all of them but you know that it's going to be harder to prep for these ones and then um i would say the hardest sport to to prep for is athletics because yeah. of all the qualifying rounds and all the athletes and you've got to have something to say about each and every one of them it used to be the the, the open used to be the killer for prep because the monday tuesday wednesday you would have a, you know 155 players and on the thursday and friday when we were doing you know the bbc was doing blanket coverage so they open the tee off, you know, at 6.30 in the morning, don't finish until half past nine at night. And we were doing coverage pretty much throughout. So you knew you'd be seeing some players that you wouldn't be, they, they wouldn't be the most favorite players in the world. And somebody might just get on a run, get to four under par, suddenly they're on your TV screens. And you're going, who, who the Dickens is this? <laughs> oh, it's somebody Dickens. Uh, so that's why you have to be able to go to your notes and, yeah. and say, and so there's no escape from it. You just have to do the prep. Um, and athletics would be similar in all the preliminary rounds and early rounds. You have to have something to say about everybody. So that's the the unpleasant part of the job. But it's uh, it all pays off at the weekend or on the day when when it's the sort of more fun part. But it's only fun if you've done the work. Is it like uh, to ask the what you think of the World Club Championship in Rugby Union? I'm reading a few days ago this desire to sort the calendar out. If there's ever an opportunity to sort the calendar out, surely uh, it is now. What do you think of this idea of like a world club championship? 
Well, here's me getting the hospital pass to Jeffy. There we go. It's up. Yeah. It's up. It's up here. You've taken up here, and Brian Lima is bearing <laughs> down on your midriff now. Yeah, you let that pass go. Just call it this. I just, I just think, Ray, it's, it's an international game they're going to look at, and um, they will. I think they've got a, a calendar in mind. I think they've got to try and kind of ring fence to Six Nations purely because this has illustrated how important. Six Nations is to rugby and money and that's the cash go for the Northern Hemisphere and that's where the Southern Hemisphere want to come in because they're struggling financially so there are, there are um, times in the calendar, it might, it might be June it, it might be November where there could be a playoff between two Southern Hemispheres that, that's what they have to look at uh, you know, to, to, to make money and get everyone involved in those stages but uh, you, you know, you've got to look after the, the Six Nations I think, you know, the relegation and you know, promotion, that's another matter again. At the moment, you're just getting a, a calendar and, get, and getting it sorted. I mean, it's amazing how plans might have changed given yes. everything that's happened now, uh, but also how tough sports are going to find it in terms of finances. And that, you know, when you look at the Six Nations, for example, in rugby and um, I was about to say QVC, the shopping channel's taken over, but it's not CVC, the venture capitalists having taken <laughs> over. And yeah. so m- m- money is going to be all important, especially when sports are, are stretched. And, you know, the great God football will always survive because there's so much yeah. money in it. It's going to be pared down, but there are sports that operate in far finer margins that are going to have a, have struggles and I think rugby may well be one of those so decisions will be taken within that sport based on the finances going forward that wouldn't you know that a couple of years yeah. ago they wouldn't but have also, been thinking about but also Andrew there's another point to this because you you kind of jump between um, the paywall behind the paywall to the to mm. the BBC and on all ITV so you you, you you cover all broadcasting or radio as well and you see a massive difference don't you um, when you're on behind the paywall and when you're on national television whether it's ITV or BBC it doesn't make any difference yeah. and there's a there's a balance to all sports yes they need the money but also apart from football oh, they I need mean, the platform as well I mean that's that's something we've seen over the last you know last 20 years developing yeah. uh, it's massive I mean for example in in golf and Sky Sports do golf superbly. They give it a level of coverage and detail and analysis and, and, and technology that the BBC couldn't afford towards the end. And, and certainly they, they do it tremendously well. But still, the BBC's highlights will get far more watching than Sky's live coverage will get. Yeah. And that's just the way of the world. Um, I, so, yes, and that, that's, the, that's the decision that governing bodies have to take. And it's a hard one because when people are waving short-term money in front of your face, you're, it's going to be very difficult to turn that down, you know, and say, well, it's for the greater good of the game long-term that we keep our exposure uh, by remaining on the BBC because you will have all sorts of interested parties saying, no, 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 you've got to take the, the money. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's very difficult. And, and again, there are sports like, um, like snooker, like athletics, who need that exposure far, far more as well. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, I, it's a tough I mean, balance. It's, it's, it's such a tough balance. And the BBC is fighting all sorts of other forces as well in terms of governmental pressures and, and you know pressure on the license fee people say why do i have to pay this thing that um you know i might not watch the bbc well i mean i, I think and this is you know i do think it's very very important to have um to have a, a media company that is not and even though people will say well you know they're 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 favoring this party or that party a, a company that is absolutely especially in these times a company that's 
just tell gives you facts without any prejudiced opinion uh, about it. You know, you look at the model in America in terms of news and people on the right will watch Fox News and people in the middle will, well, there aren't people in the middle, people on the left will watch um, <laughs> CNN or MSNBC. And so people are only getting their own opinions back. So what you want yeah. is something that just gives you facts down the middle. And that's why an impartial, publicly funded broadcaster, I think, is still so important. Do you think the economic situation will give sport something to consider in regard to um, as the impact on the economy, uh, as we start to feel that, uh, whether people will rush back to buy subscriptions or not, whether for Sky, for BT, for any uh, pay channel, will, it might be harder to persuade people to take the subscriptions back right now just because of the economic pressure. And so I, I think there are several financial equations for everyone to, uh, to consider. I don't think anyone knows at the moment, Ray. Honest to God, it's just everyone's waiting to see, you know, what, back to reality, but what's reality going to be like? Yeah. I don't think any, anyone knows and everyone's affected, you know. My daughter works in London in the, in the fashion industry and there's going to be redundancies there. So there's worry over that. And so at, at the moment, you know, sport is vitally important. We come around full think, circle, Jeff, on certainty. Yeah, yeah. Massive, massive uncertainty yeah. for, for the For the, you know, the Joe Blogs, it's, it's very difficult and the, the financial pressure on them, you know, only they will know because every individual case is different. So I, I, going back to sport, and I've, you know, we go when we meet up, and I enjoy the the Friday night, right? When the rugby boys meet up, and yeah. say we're in Paris or Edinburgh or Cardiff, and we all meet and have dinner together. So you throw your Jerry Guscos, Yandy Nick, you used to be Keith or the Paul O'Connell, right? And then yourself or Eddie or and more is usually there. We have a brilliant laugh, and you know we have dinner and a good catch up. Are all sports similar? Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you're you're being very kind to me in suggesting that I'm sociable in any way at all. So, <laughs> as I drink my orange juice, um, I always sit. I try to sit next door to him because he's different. I, I, it's great question. I, I think the trips used to be. I think they used to be more fun. Again, that's perhaps nostalgia talking. But we used to, we used to go out. I mean, I would go out on the Thursday to games because you go then to training or captain's run on the Friday. But there's no point in that anymore. You just don't see it. They don't let you see anything. No, anyway. um, and the trips used to, I, yeah, I, I really enjoy the, so the, the least uh, enjoyable part of the job is all the prep. The most enjoyable part, I suppose, is still doing the commentary itself. But very close to it is being in that place and and enjoying the not enjoying the travel because the travel's horrendous no. everybody knows yeah. airports and planes and whatever it might be that part of it is just awful but once you're in the place that 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 part of it's very very enjoyable once you get into a rhythm and you know maybe um you end up staying in the for example the the olympics i'll be billeted with the athletics team and and so every night you know you come back late late finishes at the athletics you'd be finishing about 11 o'clock at night and getting back and just trying to find somewhere to to eat but then sitting down and just just relaxing with people who are good company like um steve cram is great company uh, and and paula radcliffe and we'd sit there and just just decompress and those are the times that you you know you do remember the moments of commentary but you also look back so fondly on the whole experience of of just chatting with uh, you know, good company and enjoying the trip that way. So yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, and golf provided some brilliant times because Peter Alice is, you know, and some people say, oh, Peter's outdated. And certainly, you know, 
there'll be people who watch golf now who think, who is this dinosaur? But he is brilliant company. He is, yeah. as you can imagine, he's got so many stories to tell. <clears throat> Ken Brown as well. And I think the golf trips probably um, would, because we're there for much longer than the rugby, rugby you do kind of drop in. You'll have one at Friday night maybe. I don't even go to that anymore because I'm so antisocial. But, you know, um, the golf, you're <laughs> that, there that for was a before, week. That was before social distance said he was antisocial. Well, I'll tell you, the, 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 exactly. Everyone's just come around to my way of thinking now. But the, like the Masters, for example. So you're staying in houses, rented houses at the Masters or the Open. And so you're living in, in the pockets of these people and you might go around to the house where Peter and Ken are staying one night or they might come around to yours, whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, just the best times. And these are the times that, you know, in 30 years time when I'm looking back at it all, if I'm not sort of uh, do lally with, with dogs, but, but you're, you're with head, 20 dogs, head, I mean, that's yeah. what I'll remember. You know, those are the times I remember. <laughs> That'll be it. All the work you've done, every sport you've covered, you will be remembered for the dogs. <sighs> Jiffy, I, I mean, yeah, God, that's it, isn't it? Jiffy, Jiffy, time is against us because uh, time is against us. Are Oliver Mabel, are they back? Sorry, are they back? No, no, yeah, hang on a second. I didn't see, I didn't realise this was going to, so if I, if I were to show Oliver Mabel to you, see, they've, they've come in from a walk, so they'll be quite tired and reluctant to come in. But the thing in our favour here is that this is where I keep the dog food in this room, so they may welcome <laughs> I, I didn't realise this was being filmed, so I'm kind of, I'm almost in like, Pajamas, that's how seriously I'm taking lockdown at <laughs> half past ten on a morning. Hang on a second, let me just, I'm going to have to call for them now. I'm wearing slippers and everything. Oh, don't worry. The, the, the figures oh, for this jiffy are now going through the roof. I know, and I, I, I got to ask him a couple more questions when we finish. Okay, we've oh, got a of hang on a second, there she is. There's all of Yeah, there is. Mabel back. trailing behind. They're actually wearing their toweling robes. They're like me in the dressing gowns because they come in and it's been so wet. The real lockdown stars. Jiffy, ask your questions because now Andrew's got things to do. We've got to get off. So, yeah. and so, anyway, you, uh, you're, you're so highly regarded. Oh. He does. I have, I have done. He's done so many Q and A's, right? Uh, and going back to the golf, I kind of pinch myself. I'm sat there doing the Q and A. Andrew's leading it, and then I've got Tim Henman to my left, and then Tom Watson to my right. <laughs> yeah, I, I am like in heaven. Just yeah. listen to those two, and they listen. And my stories about intimidation, you know, I, you can imagine intimidation in rugby is slightly different to uh, mm. tennis and golf. But, you know, that's what's brilliant about sport. They enjoyed yeah. my stories, I enjoyed them. So, but you, you know, Andrew always takes a mickey out of um, Colin from Com- Colin from Conflict. <laughs> I take the mickey out of everyone. I think first yeah. and foremost, I take the mickey out myself. That's what I. Yes. Well, one thing I, I I can't abide in people is the inability to to take the mickey out themselves to put themselves down. Self-deprecation is a great humour, and you see it. You see it a lot in the UK. You might not see it quite so much in the United States, where they don't quite get it. If, if I if I stand up in the United States and say hello there, my name's Andrew Cotter, and I am a clown, and they'll go, "What was this guy? What was this guy? <laughs> he is so negative." Um, but I know he's like when Colin Montgomery is actually in the room when when he takes a mickey out of it and Colin loves it doesn't he yeah he does don't I'm um, because it's the, the impression's not happening not especially when I'm on screen so <laughs> okay uh, but he does but that's the thing about people you see people like that like people will have seen Monty on the the course and he is intense and he's he knows he can be a pretty unpleasant individual in competition or certainly you know, 20 years ago when he was really right up at the top of the game but in an environment like that, and anybody who spends any time with him, they, people who get to play with him in a pro-am or in a corporate day, they say, this guy is the best company. Because yeah. he, and, he doesn't, and he doesn't mind, he'll have a laugh and he'll, he, he'll let you take the mickey out of him. 
Um, but again, once the switch goes on in competition, he's he's totally different. But I, to- Tim I totally Hedman. agree. Tim Hedman's the well, same, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Tim exactly. Hedman is the driest, one of the funniest guys you yeah. ever meet in your life. Yeah. He is absolutely great, great company. So I, and which sport, you know, it's very difficult, you cover them all. Which do you regard as your sport? Because you you know you do so many of them. I don't anymore. I mean, the ones I started, I, I don't have one anymore. I started off in golf and rugby. They were my two because uh, got, uh, rugby was big in the family. Uh, my grandfather played twice for Scotland in the thirties, so it was a big. It was a it was a, a rugby playing family. Uh, but I was never, despite the massive imposing figure you see before yourselves now, I was never, I, you've got to be, you've got to be, especially at school, you've got to be big and powerful to succeed at rugby. Um, oh, oh, and, hang on, hang on. Well, no, but yeah, or, or or have the speed of a ninja. Are ninjas fast? I don't know. Um, but anyway, a Welsh, a Welsh fast ninja. Um, yeah, so have the skills and the speed that you had. So um, yeah, I... And also, I was I was concentrating so much on golf at the time. I really wanted to be a player. Um, and uh, what's your handicap now? Four? <laughs> no, it's three. But I don't. I don't, I've stopped three, playing completely because of my hip injury. So, uh, which I don't like to talk about at any great. <laughs> um, anyway, so my favourite sport. I, I think my favourite sport to play. Well, I enjoy I enjoy running as well. But again, uh, age is catching up with me on that. But. Um, Golf would have been my favourite sport growing up, but to commentate on, I think it's probably rugby and athletics because of the atmosphere and because the the crescendos. So rugby, you've got the crescendos within the match, you know, peaks and troughs. Uh, athletics is a sort of every race is a gradual crescendo. You know you're going to have that moment, whether it's a try, whether it's someone crossing the line, whereas golf is more um, sort of cricket-style commentary, bouncing along the bottom. You have dramatic moments, especially at the end of tournaments and in the Ryder Cup. But you don't quite get that buzz um, that you do in the other sports. And tennis, again, it's sort of highs and lows, and it's quite fiddly. When do I talk here? I've got to say something during the change of ends. That's when I've got to to come up with something to to say. And it's quite intimidating when you're alongside, yeah. um, you know, McEnroe or whoever it is, because you're, I'm just terrified of him. But <laughs> I would say, you know, you look at the. In fact, I was watching it the other day. I just watched snippets of it because they replayed it in Wales, Scotland, 2010. Oh, yeah. Because the atmosphere there at the end of that match was the greatest atmosphere I've heard at any sporting event. And, you know, I'm Scottish, Jiffy's Welsh, but it doesn't matter. You're just caught up in the total drama of that match. And Shane Williams goes over to win. Scotland have been 10 points up with four minutes to go and they lost by seven. But anyway, it was just <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that place as yeah. well with the roof on, the, the atmosphere yeah. in there, you will not get any better in sport. And those are the kind of moments of commentary. You're and the at. emotions, right? When I was there with Andrew, and I'm well, and like Scottish and Welsh, I could see what we could see what was happening. Mm. And you can see a, a side starting to crumble and lose control, and then the whole crowd gets behind them. Now, you can't hide the fact that, you know, we're our nationalities. So the body language of Andrew and my body language would slowly overlap or turn, yeah. turn over, you know, yeah. and just to be there. And it's, it was brilliant, brilliant game. And, uh, but you can so hear, you, you can hear yeah. it though, you know, the body language was, but you could... I would hope that what you can hear is just genuine excitement at Wales winning yeah. from me. And yeah. it, because as you said, it, it was just, a, a, you know, of all the sporting events I've, I've done, you know, that, that one there just yeah. typifies the beauty of sport because it was just incredible and the drama and the, 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 just the wave of the crowd because they sensed it was all happening as well. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. The flip side of that was we worked together in Rome. And I've been on, I've been, I've been, so I'm glad he stayed till, he's, I'm glad he stayed till the end this week. 
tell them that story. I was doing pitch side oh. because I, I'm like cheap labour for the BBC. I do pitch side, then I have to run up to co-com. And I was that. hoping we were going to get through this without mention of Rome 2013. <laughs> so you know how um, uh, uh, recently on YouTube, uh, millions of views for dogs. I'm glad of that because it's kind of buried. Um, if you, I think if you still if you still look up Italy Wales 2013, you'll still get the commentary. And after three minutes and fifty seconds, I mean, what happened? was I was feeling fine 10 minutes before kickoff in the Stadio Olimpico then five minutes before I was going you know you get that really cold sweat thing and you think I'm oh I might not be very well here and I said to I said to Jeffy because he'd come up from pitch side just before the anthems I said I'm struggling a bit here and he sort of helped out by just doing imaginary retching motions into his hat (laughs) (laughs) so anyway then the anthems are going I'm going this is not this is this is actually terrible so I was hoping that once the match started the adrenaline would kick in and you'd somehow see off this mystery illness which had come in and I did I did as I said it's there on YouTube three minutes 50 (laughs) seconds of commentary tried to say Martin Castro a couple of times didn't even get through it <laughs> then I thought I'm gonna to have to go because this will go viral if I am violently sick on air so you can hear the microphone going down on the table on the desk and I just raced down into to try and find and I would also like to stress and clear up the point of this one because I still get contacted by Welsh fans with little poo emojis I wasn't <laughs> anything like that I was sick I was just sick, violently sick. Anyway, into the president's suite and beyond, and well, uh, it was just awful. But the point that Jiffy makes about that is that, you know, suddenly he was left on his own. Commentary. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just going, way. oh, that's, uh, a, that's a good scrum. Most that. frightening experience, <laughs> honestly, God, I'm thinking, first of all, right, you know, as, a, as a, we had a partnership, and he's looking at me, and we can't say anything to each other because he's commentating. And I'm trying to fill in when he's not feeling when he's not feeling well. He's got a flat cap, right? The flat cap comes off his head into his lap, just in case. And then he just walks off. <laughs> he doesn't tell me he's going. He just walks off. So I'm like this. It was one of those like, things that if I thought I'd said anything, if I'd opened my mouth again. <laughs> It would have been horrendous. So the director is then uh, speaking to our floor manager saying, Is Andrew, no where's Andrew? Uh, and the floor oh, yeah. manager says, no, he's gone. Uh, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, oh, this, I tell you, I'm looking, this is, this is a quiet game. I thought, oh, shit, I'm commentating now. So you have to just <laughs> jump onto it. And you realise what a tough job it is, but uh, good fun. I uh, tried to come back up at half time actually, and was just still green. So they got Shane Williams <laughs> to come up and join you. And so it was just you and Shane Williams to... Two fleet-footed backs, you know, going, oh, is, is that a good scrum? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Who is that player? I don't know. It was funny. It was funny. Time, time has beaten us. Andrew, what's next for Oliver Mabel? Is there sort of, uh, did you have anything lined up? Well, uh, I mean. TV series. Didn't even get, well, well. All I'll say is well, mysteriously in that. <laughs> but um, there have been a couple of very, very interesting things. But I can't say anything more. One thing I can say is there is going to be a book, which I'm writing at the moment. Fantastic. So uh, that will be out in, in October, by which time we'll have finished it. But, um, and by which time everyone will have forgotten all about this. But there are a couple of interesting things which hopefully will come to light in the next few months. But Because, Crafts. because Crafts. I'm not going to be commentating Crafts. on sports. So. Crafts? Crafts? No, no crafts. Not doing crafts. <laughs> Andrew, when you, when you mentioned Wimbledon before, before, uh, next time we chat, because hopefully we can chat again, is um, John Motson doing commentary at Wimbledon with Jack Nicholson as a co-commentator for a short time. Have you heard that story? What? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I know that Jack Nicholson has been seen at Wimbledon. I saw him. In fact, he was there for the Rafter Ivanisevic match. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, we'll we'll get Motti to come on and tell it. We'll we'll get Motti <laughs> to join us, Jiffy, and tell us. But but Motti's doing commentary at Wimbledon. Jack Nicholson's a big tennis fan. Turns up alongside Motti because <laughs> puts the head- do. Yeah, puts the headphones on. Motti gets more intense about talking to Jack Nicholson than doing the tennis. People in Motti's ear are saying, update the score, update the score. And Motti's going off and off and off about <laughs> Jack Nicholson's film career. Mm. And, and apparently there's this moment when there's a silence and Jack Nicholson says, tell him the score, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Did that actually happen or is that just a dream you had, Ray? <laughs> We'll, we'll get Motti to come on and oh. relay the story properly. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Jiffy, good to see you as ever. As always, stay safe, everybody. Thank you for joining Take us. Take care, boys. Take yeah. care, Andrew. Good to see you, mate. And I will catch up soon. Uh, Jiffy and Subsy, we hope we'll return another time. Take care, guys. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. And thanks for listening to Jiffy and Stubsy. Hope you'll join us again. Please hit the subscribe button. 